How are you doing? If we haven't met yet, my name is Dan, my wife Hannah and I get the honour of leading this incredible church. So good to have you. Uh, we're doing a two-week series. It's kind of a, a window and preview into the Alpha Course. And it's a, the Alpha Course, if you've never heard of it, was written by Nikki Gumble in London, Holy Trinity Brompton. And it's a, an incredible time. Uh, it's this beautiful course. Like every time I look at the content, what's happening around the world, it's like millions of people have done it, happening in so many countries, impacting so many people. So I'm so uh, blessed by this course, number one, and so we just want to do it as a six-week course as a church. We're doing two weeks in Sunday services, last week and today, and the next four weeks it will be upstairs after the service with the wonderful Janet Schumler running it. So please see myself or her after to continue. We're going to look at how and why do I need faith? How do I have faith? How do I pray? How do I read the Bible? And how do I be filled with the Holy Spirit? So they're the four weeks we'll do uh, in August upstairs, free snacks provided. If that's the one thing that lures you, then that's what we'll, it'll take, all right? I'll make sure your favorite cheese is there. Okay, looking today at why did Jesus die? Last week we looked at who is Jesus? And if you missed it, please go back to our YouTube and have a look. We looked at the resounding evidence of this guy actually did walk the earth. That, that's not really up for debate. That's not where faith lives. Did Jesus walk the earth? There's more evidence that he walked the earth than almost any other major historical figure, including Julius Caesar. And then we looked at, well, can we trust the New Testament as a book? And we looked at these other ancient manuscripts, these other books that we can trust. And, you know, one of them, for example, was Caesar's Gallic War. It was 900 years from its first where it was first written to its first copy. And we have 10 copies available today. In the New Testament, it was anywhere between 30 and 300, depending on what part you read and how you look at it. Years from first copy, first written to first copy. And instead of 10 copies today, we have 24,300 copies of the original manuscript. So we, we can believe Jesus walked the earth. We can trust the New Testament. There is an amazing amount of, of, of evidence proving that he did live on the earth, he did have followers, he did die a Roman crucifixion, and that he did have his followers change the world while being brutally murdered. And so the one part that faith hinges on is, did he rise again? And we wanted to explore that a bit last week. While we cannot scientifically prove that he rose again, we do have to look at a few logical pieces of evidence. Number one, the Roman Empire, while trying to squash Christianity and say it wasn't real, couldn't present a body and say, no, he's still dead. Like, look at him. They couldn't present a body. And then we see these fearful disciples go from being so afraid, they locked themselves in a room to going out and preaching publicly and dying for their faith and not changing the testimony that they saw him again. So we have these things that we go, you know what, it, it doesn't feel like I've got to do this faith jump from here all the way over to here to believe Jesus is God. It's actually just this much, this one thing of saying, can you believe he rose again? Because if he rose again, it changes everything. And so today we want to look at why did Jesus die? Might sound like a joke, but what does David Beckham, Madonna and the Pope have in common? Sounds like a joke, but no, in all honesty, they all wear a cross as jewellery. 
It's a very fascinating thing. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about that. Imagine if you saw someone walking down with a necklace of a little electric chair or some kind of earrings from some lethal injection needle as earrings. It's, the cross was a form of torture. It's a form of punishment for criminals, but now it's this fashionable kind of statement piece we see again and again and again around the world. It was such a painful way of dying. Even the Romans outlawed it in 337 AD. They abolished it. It was such a, a, a gruesome and painful way of dying They literally had to invent a new word to describe the pain experienced on the cross. You and I know the word excruciating. Enduring certain TV shows, you might say excruciating. But what it literally means, ex means from or out of cruciating, crucifixion. Excruciating, out of the crucifixion. That's how much pain someone is going through in that moment. And so why on earth would anyone wear a cross? Might seem like a a horrible statement or comparison to make, but I guess we see logos all around the world. We see different logos representing different companies. And when you see that logo, you often think of a person. You see Nike, you think of Michael Jordan or someone like that that changed the world. And when you see the cross, what I'm thinking is you think of Christianity and Jesus Christ. To always be reminded of what happened when Jesus died. A full third of the Gospels are about Jesus' death. And then much of the rest of the New Testament is about explaining why he died. The central worship service of the Christian church we'll be doing after today is called Holy Communion. And it is all about remembering the blood he shed for us and his body that was broken. So why? Why would Christians see so much importance in his death? Strange when you think about it. Every other religious leader, every other uh, significant person who has died by now, we, we remember their life. We talk about their life. We write about their life. Oftentimes not their death. But when Jesus, most of the most powerful things, he's remembered about his death even more than his life. Okay, but other people have died for a cause. Countless war heroes, for example. So what's so different about Jesus' death? Well, the Bible, once again, that we can put our faith into, as we looked at last week, says that he died for our sins. So what does that mean and how does that work? Words are like this in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, you and I, that he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's amazing if it's true. So why did Jesus have to die? A lot of people, maybe you're here today, will say, I don't really have a need for Christianity. I have a good life. My life is good. If you're here and you live around here, you live on the Gold Coast. Like We live in a beautiful part of the world and you might be sitting and going i don't need jesus life is good and to be honest that is true (laughs) you are a nice person living in a nice place and i i would say that we all have this element of goodness in us and this good life we live is actually true because what the bible says is we were created in the image of god 
So there is something good and noble about every individual and the life we live. And if we could for today, what we could call that is the imprint of the divine. The Bible says we were created in God's image. So all of us have this imprint on us, something good that points to our creator. There's also another side to this coin that I do want to highlight today. There is things in my life, there are things that I do or have done that I just know. No one taught me, no one told me, I just know that they are wrong. I still remember those feelings. I remember being in grade eight, waiting for mum to pick me up. And my friend and I didn't have a football, so we were playing kicking with pine cones. State school, you know, we didn't have much budget back then. So anyway... Kicking these pine cones, we realized the full, big, wide ones didn't go too far. So if you get the little rock-hard ones that haven't cracked yet, you can really kick them high. And as we're kicking them, one just went off the side of my foot, really high and landed smack on a teacher's windshield. And I would love to say I fessed up to that, but as I ran away as fast and far as I could and waited for mum to pick me up somewhere else, I didn't even inspect the damage, and I've carried that guilt until this moment. So thank you for being a listening ear. But we all know what that guilt feels like when we've done something wrong. No one had to teach us. Your parents didn't sit you down and teach you how you should respond to doing something wrong. We've all felt that guilt. And sometimes we come up with weird excuses, try to blame things or other people. I laughed at the UK Television Licensing Authority. They compiled a list of pathetic excuses used by people caught out dodging the payments for their TV license fee. These range from the highly implausible, my 11-year-old son must have bought the TV uh, during the night, to the downright odd, I've not been making payments because I cannot leave my home. A baby magpie flew into the house and I have to stay in at all times to feed it. (laughs) Right. We've all done the wrong and most of us immediately tried to make an excuse or to blame someone or something else. See, if I was to turn the front right here of, of this pulpit into a scale, just for a moment, come with me, and the, and the top was really good. We put like Mother Teresa up there, and the bottom was just awful, maybe Stalin. We put him down there, just above that, the guy who cut me off in traffic this morning, way down there, like he doesn't belong anywhere else. Okay, so stay down there, fantastic. We were going to make a scale of humanity, good to the bad. The question is, where would you put yourself? Oh, I'm a bit better than that person. Definitely better there. What's the average person? Well, I'm probably nicer than the average person. I'm probably more generous than the average person. I probably help out more than the average person. So most of us, I'm guessing, would go, oh, just above the middle. Not, not, not up here near Mother Teresa, but, you know, somewhere there. Well, that's all well and good, except for the Bible. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, the standard of goodness in the eyes of God is not this pulpit. The standard of goodness is not the top. It's not even the ceiling. It's, it's way up into the sky. It's the infinity, the full glory of God as shown to us in Jesus Christ. That is good. That is what is required to earn our way and position in heaven. But all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. 
some might say, well, if that's the case, at least we're all in the same boat. So what does it matter if we all fall short? Well, it matters because the Bible speaks about the consequences of sin. The first one it alludes to is the pollution of sin. And these notes, very much like my, uh, my mind and my heart, all start with the letter P. So if that helps at all as well, you can remember it and write it down. The pollution of sin. Jesus worded it like this in Mark 7. What comes out of you is what makes you unclean. For from within, out of your heart, that's where it comes. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. In there, there was a, a crime gang that, that made huge amounts of money by illegally disposing of vast quantities of all different kinds of highly toxic industrial waste. That was how they did it. They, they would simply take it all out to sea on a massive boat and then just sink the whole ship. They'd simply just leave it out there. And your heart is probably just... Sinking with that, thinking of the damage done to the ocean. But that is what our lives are like. We, we sink this stuff deep within. It's not what you touch or, or necessarily what you look at. It's the stuff that is sunk within. That greed, that malice, that deceit, envy, slander, etc. All that stuff is in the human heart. It's all there and it all comes bubbling up. And we wonder why our lives seem to be so polluted and so damaged. Jesus lists these acts and attitudes as well. And some might say, look, I don't do all those different things. I'm not that bad. That list was too extensive. That's not me. But it doesn't work that way. See, any and all of them penetrate and permeate all that we are. The toxic waste, it wasn't just what was in the drum. It was when this sank, it polluted the whole ocean. And sin is the same in our world. Sin is simply me believing that I know best. Ignoring God, opting for spiritual self-sufficiency and living my life for myself. And that really messes everything up. It messes everything up because unchecked, sin has more power over us than we have over it. So that's why the first consequence of sin is that pollution just pollutes everything. The second consequence of sin is the power of sin. We see this in the Bible. It's this attitude of self-governance and self-sufficiency. And that attitude, it's very addictive. If I use addictive and put it with sin, some of us are just thinking of substances, of, of alcohol and drugs. We're like, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm not a drug addict, but there are many other aspects of sin that we find very, very addictive. How many people here, rhetorical question, <clears throat> are addicted to maybe a bad temper, resentment, pornography, or envy, or gossip? That's a big one. These things get a grip on our lives. It can end up controlling us. We become, as Jesus puts it in that moment, a slave of sin. There's a power that it has. Then the third consequence is the petition of sin. So you and I were born and created in the image of God, an intentional design by the one true God for relationship. That's why he made us. 
But sin destroyed that relationship. Sin cuts us away from that, that internal desire to be my own God, self-sufficiency there, lead my own life how I want, is exactly what tears us away from God. How else could it work? The Christian belief is that God is perfect. Now I'm fully aware of the imperfection in me. So if that has not been dealt with somehow, then how could I, with all my imperfections, still possibly enjoy a relationship with a perfect God? Romans 6.23 further pushes this point where it says, And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages, what it deserves, what it brings on, what it earns, the natural paycheck if you go to work all week, what it earns is death. By death, Paul's not just talking about physical death because every single one of us and every single living thing will face death. But what Paul is talking about here is a spiritual death. And the day Adam and Eve sinned, he said, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And when they did eat of that tree, guess what? They didn't die physically. Something so much greater happened. Eternal consequence, a spiritual death cut off from God in that moment. So that's what the partition still is. There's a wall between us and God. Simply because we choose to hold on to all of that toxic, waste within us and it affects us all the fourth and final consequence i do want to allude to the bible speaks about it's that consequence of the penalty of sin every single one of us sitting here right now when we we watch the news and we we hear about some injustice being done every single one of us something deep within rises up wanting justice You hear about the abuse of a child. You hear about war in other nations. You hear about uh, uh, abhorrent things like ethnic cleansing or something horrific happening around the world. No one teaches you how to respond. Something in you goes, oh, we need justice, cries out. Now, I know that feeling every year on the Gold Coast in November, there's something called schoolies. And it's all of grade 12s coming to party and celebrate. But to keep them safe, there's a wonderful organization called Red Frogs. I did Red Frogs for nine years. And unfortunately, too many times as one of the leaders in Red Frogs, I was sitting with young people facing, just finished school, facing the bright, wonderful future. And they're sitting there. They've just been raped. They've just been abused. They've just been hurt in many awful ways. And I can honestly tell you there were many times I wanted to quit, get a bunch of other guys and just walk the beach with baseball bats because something inside me wanted justice at this inhumane action. And I'm sitting here today to tell you when you feel the same way, just maybe, just maybe it's a sign actually of that divine imprint you and I both share. Just maybe it's a sign of how God feels as well. The people who did this should be caught and stopped from doing it ever again. Exactly. Exactly. Something needs to happen. And inside every single one of us, we instinctively know, once again, it's not a subject at school, there should be a penalty for this sin. And God says, exactly. This is why the Christian belief 
is that God came to earth in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and me, to pay the penalty. Jesus chose to die in our place, and it was the most horrific death imaginable. The Roman philosopher Cicero describes crucifixion as the most cruel and hideous of tortures. I briefly alluded to it before, but it was designed for the ultimate humiliation. Whipped, beaten, and killed, oftentimes naked. That word excruciating, they they couldn't describe how painful it was, what they were going through. It was the longest and most torturous death imaginable. One commentator says several hours, if not days enduring such physiological trauma as blood loss leading to suffocation of the internal organs, blood poisoning, asphyxiation, dehydration, hypothermia, exhaustion, and cardiovascular collapse. And that is how God died for you. Jesus died. Yet what's also extraordinary is that the New Testament does not concentrate so much or the most on the physical agony of Jesus Christ. What I find extraordinary is that most of what it concentrates on is Jesus suffered spiritually. Because in that moment, covered in the sin of the world, of our sin, he was cut off from the Father for us, punished for us. The punishment that we deserved. Let's not forget that internal thing inside us that cries out for justice. There's an awful desolation in Jesus when you read the Gospels about him hanging there, nailed to the, tree, nailed to the cross, that perfect relationship. And in that moment, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken or turned your back on me? That relationship he enjoyed for eternity completely shattered. And you might be here and go, well, if that's true, then why is there still so much pain and suffering in the world? And that's a valid question. It's a question I don't have all the answers for right now to give in a short amount of time. But the one thing I find comforting is that in that moment of my suffering, as Jacob shared in his moment of suffering, what we can now experience is that Jesus now suffers alongside us. The comforter comes down and and he knows what it is to suffer. So the Bible says he can sympathize with us in our suffering. There's so many different aspects to the cross, just as there are many consequences of sin. We just looked at those four. Before I finish, I'd love to look at, if we can, I guess, the consequences of the cross. Why did Jesus die? If he did this for you and I, what can we learn and what is on offer for you and I? There's four images that I'd love to pull out now. Number one is the temple. It's the picture that we see the result of the cross is that the slate has been wiped clean. See, the cross is the answer to the pollution of sin. The cross cleanses and cleans. In the Old Testament, there was very careful laws about what happened when you did something wrong. Basically, you had to go to the temple. You had to get a perfect animal, and you had to make that perfect animal a sacrifice for your sin. You confessed your sins over the animal, and then it was sacrificed for you. But here's the thing that is fascinating. The people knew that it didn't really work. 
in Hebrews 10, verse 4, the author literally said, it's impossible for the blood of bulls or goats to take away sins. They were only ever a shadow or a foretelling of what was to come. That's why John the Baptist looks up at Jesus Christ and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away, not covers, takes away the sin of the world. That's only Jesus. The blood of Jesus washes away the pollution of sin. Through the cross, we can know forgiveness for what we've done. Through the cross, we can know healing. And through the cross, we can make a fresh start. One of the testimonies of Alpha I really liked, there was a lady who'd been a self-confessed drug addict and prostitute suffering from deep depression. And when she got to the end of the course, she was telling her story in church and all that could come out was clean. I feel clean. Thank you, Lord. A second picture I'd love to highlight is the marketplace. See, this is how the cross is the answer to the power of sin. Remember I told you it's addictive. There's a grip in your heart, but the cross is the answer to that. In the ancient world, when people got themselves into debt, one of the ways to get yourselves out of debt was to sell yourself into slavery. So you would literally go to the marketplace. You'd have a price hung around your neck for the amount of your debts, and someone would actually buy or pay off your debts, but in doing so, they would buy you into slavery. You become their slave. That price they paid to buy you was called your ransom price. How strange in that moment would it be if someone went up and saw someone, a price hanging around their head at their neck and paid that price and then set them free. It would be odd. It wasn't done, but that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for you and I. Jesus literally said, I've come to give my life, to die on the cross as a ransom for many to set us free. What we are, whenever we are under the power of, we can be set free. You can be set free by Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, 13 to 14 words are like this, having forgiven us all our trespasses, cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. I think of my brother John who's outside, I think right now, and this week he turned 42. It was his birthday, so go slap him in the face for me, please. But... I always think of him when I think of this verse because for many years John's told his testimony and he will do so again in September. I'm really excited for it. But he struggled again and again with the power of sin. He struggled with addiction. He struggled with this substance. And this November coming up, we're going to celebrate 12 years clean. Hasn't touched it. Not one drop of alcohol. And every time I look at my brother, I see the power of the cross. It's on offer. Third thing that I would love to show you, third picture is the family, the cross enables. The cross is the answer to the partition. Remember that wall that divides us, that separation from us and God? Last week we talked about this. It's so important because if Jesus is not God, this doesn't work. The cross doesn't do anything. 
right? But God was in Christ. Look at this verse in 1 Corinthians 5. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. See, if it had been that Jesus was just some guy whom God punished instead of us, that would be barbaric. But God was in Christ. God was doing that. And God died for you and I. Yet again last week, we looked at the fulfillment of prophecies Jesus did. One of them that stood out was Isaiah 53, verse 6. And it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Catch this. And the Lord laid on him the sin of us all, the iniquity of us all. There was nothing between him and his Father in heaven. There was that unity, that perfect relationship. But in that moment that the Lord put our sin on Jesus, that is when he was cut off from God. The wonderful news is because Jesus was forsaken on the cross, God now accepts and brings back you and I, and he looks at you and I and promises something in Hebrews 13, 5, I will now never leave you nor forsake you. It's part of the family of God. When we look at the cross, we remember that he was abandoned, he was forsaken so that you and I could be brought into the family of God. A final thing, I'll finish with this. If the band would love to come up, we're going to worship soon. But I'd love to look at the court of law. Uh, there's a word used again and again and again. And this is the cure to the pa- penalty of sin. But through the New Testament, we see this word again and again, and it's justified. Through the cross, we've been justified. Through the cross, we've been justified. Justified is a courtroom term. And what it means is declared not guilty. There's this simple analogy. It might be oversimple, but it might actually help you, I heard many years ago. And there were two friends. As children, they were inseparable, best friends at school all through university. But outside of that, they went their different ways. One became a lawyer and eventually a judge, and the other one got swept up into a life of crime. The fateful day came when the criminal was caught and came before his friend, the judge, on trial. The judge had a dilemma. See, he loved his friend but he had to do justice. So the judge gave a fine to the criminal for the appropriate penalty of the offence. The fine was $100,000. In that same moment, the judge took off his robes, went down to his friend and wrote out a cheque for $100,000. He paid the penalty himself. See, the thing I want you to get convincingly is that Jesus loves you so much. And at the same time, Jesus is a righteous, just judge. That just like you and I, when he sees injustice, something comes out wanting the price to be paid. So that's exactly what the cross is about. On the cross, we see the perfect love of God and the perfect justice of God. Jesus paid the penalty for sin. He paid the price you and I owed that we could not pay. And now we get his life that we could not earn. But last week I stressed something right at the end. And it is something crucial I need you to catch whenever we're thinking about alpha or courses like it. And it really does hinge on this as something very important. 
As much as there are facts and logical evidence and biblical proof around the person of Jesus and the work of the cross, I cannot completely, scientifically prove it to you. There is just an element where you have to experience Jesus Christ for yourself. And nowhere is that more paramount than right here in the cross. There's a verse I want to highlight before we finish in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, The Son of God, Jesus, loved me and gave himself for me. And that is how personal that confession has to be. The goal of the last two weeks is not to bring you to a point where you can say Jesus died for the world, Jesus loves the world. Our prayer and our goal is that today in your heart you could say Jesus loves me and gave his life for me. It has to be personally experienced. Then... We see that God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, so that whoever experiences, whoever believes, whoever holds on to that, should not die, but have eternal life. And that could be you today. There's this wonderful, simple prayer. Finish with this. There's this wonderful, simple prayer I'd love to teach you that Alpha teaches. I quite like it, actually. I'm going to keep it for myself. In a couple of weeks, I'll probably just brag that I came up with it, if that's all right with you guys. It's a simple prayer. Sorry, thank you, please. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to worship together. And what I'd love to encourage you, if something has happened in your heart today and you believe, yeah, Jesus did that for me. He came to heal me. Sorry, thank you, please. Sorry for the sin. I I have sinned. We all have sinned. Sorry for the sin. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for 2,000 years ago what you did for me. And please, please fill my heart. Please apply that to me. Please pay my debt. And you can do that yourself as we worship, but it would bless me so much. At the end of the service, I'm going to stay right there. Even before communion lunch, I'm just going to wait there. And if you are saying that prayer in your heart, I'd love to meet you. No one else is going to be there, just you and I. I just want to meet you. I'd love to pray with you as well. We'd love to give you a free Bible. This is the greatest thing we ever get to see. So can we stand to our feet, church? We're going to get ready to worship. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for dying on the cross for us. Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross. Holy Spirit, give us faith to believe that. Make that a reality to us. Help us be born again. In Jesus' name. Amen.
our ransom we stand before you free clean new life a life in Christ our spirit alive we thank you for that before we part ways here this morning I'm just going to read out Matthew 26 As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. Amen. That's what we're going to do out there, friends. Thank you, Jesus. We just thank you for today. God, thank you for the weight of what was spoken. Thank you that, uh, for o- that our hearts were open to receive and hear your, your voice and your whisper. We just thank you for all that you've done so personally and so intimately to each and every one of us. And we also thank you for this opportunity, this time outside, to give thanks for all that you did. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. We'll see you out there. Let's um, sort of converse about the message while we're eating lunch. Think of a few questions and keep that flowing and uh, have a blessed time. We'll see you next week. Sign up for Alpha. See me, see Janet. We'll see you next week.